I want to say welcome to those that are uh, watching online as well as everyone that's here in person. Um, and I wanted to share a story that happened this last week. Uh, we were at the uh, national conference. It was in Ridgecrest, which is in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Um, and we got an opportunity to do some praying for some people. There was some words shared for some healing, like we often do here. Um, and we were praying for Richie, our, uh, our chef, the curator of all things good um, for food. And uh, so uh, we were praying for him, and I want to allow him to share his own testimony. might seem a touch selfish, but I'm going I'm to let him do that. Um, but when we stopped, I looked to my left, and there was a, a, a guy there. He was maybe 16, 17 years old. And he looked down at Richie's name tag, and he said, oh, you're from the Cape Vineyard. And mine didn't say that because I was kind of a late schedule. So I didn't have that on mine. And, um, and Richie's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, my family is here because of you guys. So getting into the story a little bit, he says, we have um, seven kids in my family and my parents are pastors. So they are pastors somewhere in the country. I didn't get those details. They said that we took on some extra jobs. My mom worked extra the kids, the siblings did extra jobs. He said, and I wrote a letter to the National Vineyard and asked for if anybody had money so that we could come as a, as a group. Because you all know when, when you're a pastor, it's a sacrifice for everybody in the family because they put their whole lives into it. And so um, Jamie saw fit and Kim saw fit and I'm sure the board saw fit and we gave $2,000 for them to be able to come. And that just really touched my heart. I wanted to share that with you because you guys are here. You don't have to be right there in every situation, but you are there and you were there. And this family that is putting their life on the line to raise up a church was blessed and be able to come. I heard that story from Ruby and from a number of other people that ran into that boy. So he kept telling it. And that impressed upon me his thankfulness for your generosity. So I wanted to pass that along to you. <clears throat> um, so we're going to talk a little bit about food here at the beginning. Peter's hungry in Acts 10. And um, I know sometimes food can get us in trouble. Some people have issues with being hangry. Anybody? Anybody ever get hangry? You know, growing up when I was really young, I didn't even know what that was. And then it became a marketing thing, um, at least for Snickers, maybe for other things. Um, so you ever hear the phrase, like, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry? I mean, you just end up with too much stuff, right? Um, so I also was thinking about, I watch a little bit of YouTube. I let my kids influence what I watch in order to kind of see what they're into. Um, I'm not going to give in too many details. Um, but uh, there's these two guys, I think about a year or two ago, that decided they wanted to go to one restaurant and go to every location that restaurant had in the whole country. So they picked Rainforest Cafe. I think they went to about 18 locations in about 21 days. So that's a lot. Rainforest Cafes, if you know, are basically at resort locations like Disney World and places like that. So it's a lot of driving. Um, then about a year and a half later, and, and pretty recently, <clears throat> excuse me, they, um, they decided, okay, we're gonna up the ante. We're gonna go to Margaritaville this time. And they went to 22 Margaritavilles, I think, in 22 days. Uh, and they're traversing the country. I'm really sure this idea initiated when they were hungry. 
I'm, it's gotta be. I mean, you're not like full and you're thinking about this, right? So, but it's funny because the video kind of describes how emotionally they get distraught because eating the same food and it not being consistently decent in the, all the locations. It's just really funny. It looked like it was more of a taxing thing than an exciting thing. Um, so I, I would not do that. I've done challenging things in my life, but that probably wouldn't be one of them. Um, hunger is a starting point for all of us, whether it be physical or spiritual. Sometimes physical things can point to spiritual realities. So like for instance, when Jesus changed the water into wine, that was a physical act, but it was a spiritual act. And it symbolized the beginning of his doing miracles. So um, we're gonna look into Peter. He decides he's hungry. And so in Acts 10.10, he is up on the roof. He's hungry, but he's waiting for them to cook food. Food took a little longer than it does now. We don't have microwaves and things uh, back then. Uh, In verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. And there's an exclamation point in there. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So he's speaking about tradition from the Jewish perspective. We probably all know there are certain things they're not supposed to eat. There's many other religions where they don't eat at certain times of day. Um, They don't eat certain items. Um, It may just be a fasting period. But for instance, like pork traditionally is something that um, Jews don't eat. So he's like, no, this is my line. It's a vision. It's kind of miraculous, but no, I'm not going to do it. Then in verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. A little more pushback. Second time. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. You'll realize that in other parts of the scripture that when things are repeated, there's emphasis. So he should really take note of this, let alone that it's like a crazy vision I mean, he might have really been thinking that he's just like super, super hungry. Maybe the sun's beating down on him. He's like getting heat stroke. We could use that excuse here in Florida. But, uh, you know, it should be obvious to him that it's pretty miraculous. In fact, it uses the term trance that he's in. It's kind of a strong term, you know. So he said no. He's initially resistant. And I wanted to bring out the fact that it's obvious a God thing that's happening but he's initially resistant. We've gone through things, I've gone through things that I've figured out are God things, but I resist at the beginning. And I think that's just part of the human condition. That's a part of being, recognizing what we need to repent from it, from. So what's the barrier for him? Culture, religious tradition. Um, This isn't the way I do things. Do we have some categories like that in our lives? Maybe it's not as central to like a spiritual thing, but this is just not the way I do things. I don't have that much connection with other parts of the country. I grew up here in Fort Lauderdale. I moved over to Sanibel when I was 10, like Jamie was mentioning. So I understand that things are done differently up in the Northeast, where maybe some of you are from, a lot of you, or the Midwest. There might be a tenacity. There might be a pull yourself up for your bootstraps 
Don't just, you know, wear a flowered shirt and go out in the sun all day. You know, there's like a grit, right? And then we here down in Florida maybe are just real softies, right? So I get that. I just don't have a direct connection in, in my experience. So he's being asked by God to change his perspective. The Holy Spirit's inviting Peter to change and grow. So Jamie spoke a couple weeks ago about um, after the Pentecost, when all of the people heard the Lord in their different languages, um, Jesus told them, I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, which is where they were, Judea, which is the area around Jerusalem, Sumeria, which is the culture that is different. They didn't know the Israelites' God, so they were pagan. And then the ends of the earth. Jamie talked about that, and we're going to be talking about those those aspects today is that we still have those barriers. We still have those levels. We still have those that grace themselves in the church and those that are outside the church. But Jesus' love transcends all that. What he does in our hearts changes us, so much so that we should ache for anyone that doesn't know Jesus, regardless of how different or similar they look look to us. It's okay to have your reasons why. It's okay even to have a little bit of resistance. Um, but you need to take into account that it's time to say, okay, God, I'm gonna make some changes. I'll listen to you. That softness of heart. So let's go look at Cornelius. So this is a second vision. So um, Peter obviously was one of the disciples. He had previously been going around healing some people, traveling around. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. Um, he had a vision of an angel. Um, he, um, it's said that he was a lover of God. You'll see in here some of the phrasing sounds a little bit like Job. Like he doesn't know Jesus exactly, but he does things towards God and loves God and worships God and treats people good. So looking here in Acts 10, one through five, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, again, exclamation point. I don't think angels can say anything with that. I think that's just kind of like given. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And again, when you look in the scriptures, reactions to angels is fear is almost always mentioned because it's just an overwhelming thing for us to see a being that is not uh, earthly. Um, the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. So I connect him to Job in the sense that Job went and gave sacrifices to God because he was concerned that his kids may sin uh, by accident. He cultivated a relationship. It leans into the fact that his business practices were, were probably really honoring to the people that worked for him. Um, so Cornelius is like that. But Cornelius is a part of those icky, ooey animals that are in that sheet that, that the Jews, the pure Jews, are not supposed to be a part of. I think that this is a reflection of maybe we can get in situations where we, put, we give God some resistance as to who we're willing to reach out to, who we're willing maybe to get our hands dirty when we're loving and reaching out to. And I'm not saying that 
I, I believe um, that, that the church in general has made strides, but I feel like so much more is gonna be demanded of us to be sacrificial and loving in a way that's going to take the spirit to even do it. So I wanna kind of prepare you as those things happen. We're gonna have to dig in to a stronger connection of the Holy Spirit in order to, to even operate out in culture. And I wanna just encourage us that he will give you more if you ask for him. If you ask him for more, he will give you more. Cornelius took immediate action. So Peter resists, and he kind of ends up changing his mind. But Cornelius is like, okay, I'm gonna get two people. Um, I believe that they were Jewish uh, servants. And then there's one, um, I guess, soldier assistant, probably very close to him personally. And he sends them. There's something interesting, though. He doesn't just tell them, like, you're on a need-to-know basis. He tells them the story. He raises expectation. We call that testimony. That's something that I personally want to really focus on um, is that when I highlight and see things, God doing things in my life or he does something in someone else's life, I want to tuck that away as a story because that story is just an example of what Jesus is going to do again. And God will miraculously remind you at times, hey, remember you prayed for that person and this part of them was healed? Well, that might be a prompting to, okay, we're going to pray again for that thing. So that's just one of those little indicators. So Cornelius wasn't stingy. He believed in testimony and he wanted to bring his people, even his servants, in on what was going on. Cornelius has this vision before Peter has his vision. So Cornelius has his vision about three o'clock the day before. The next day, Peter at noon is hungry. And so it's interesting. And it's, it's written chronologically in the scripture, but I flipped it. So, so now he's not only got knowledge of a location, Simon the Tanner, in Joppa. So that's what's called a word of knowledge, is when you have some information from God that you shouldn't have humanly speaking. And he, that's a gift that he gives to us. Not everyone has it. It needs, us, it needs to be exercised. It needs to be shepherded. It needs to be brought under the authority of uh, pastors and, and, and worked on and practiced. Just like a doctor, when they get their certification, it's called a practice. That's a little scary because I don't want them to be practicing. I want them to be like, all right, you got it all, right? You are awesome. You don't need to get any better because you're as good as it's going to get. Well, that's not really the case. So, um, so let's read here in verse 6. He is staying, Peter is staying with Simon the, the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. So he did this right away. He didn't hesitate. He didn't resist like Peter had resisted. So I want to read this about kind of shepherding a word of knowledge because um, it's, it's very important to grow in these things, but at the same time, we want to love people well, and we don't want to hurt people and harm people in church practices. So God uses what we call a word of knowledge to give strength to the invitation. Many times, we are as, um, as we are interacting with an upcoming opportunity, we may, quote, know something, and we feel compelled to share it or afraid to share, stage fright. Like, how many of you would want to be up here, right? Like, stage fright. That's what it feels like. I ran track in high school. I hated track. Don't know why I ran track. I mean, I did not ever want to run. 
Like we would jokingly do like little rain dances to try to get it to rain because we're in Florida. Track is in the afternoon. It's going to rain. So I'm like, man, if it just rained, I don't have to run. I don't know why I did track. But uh, I was good at it, and God made it a spiritual journey. But anyway, if this happens to you, so you have an idea of something that God's telling you, and it's something that you shouldn't know. Visit with a mature person in the Lord and discuss it with them. This is something that can be very fruitful if nurtured and practiced with wisdom and guidance. Once honed, this gift may become common in your relationship with God. But seek wise counsel. Our receptors can and will be faulty. Things like this are always given in gentleness to, to the person that is listening. These gifts are always to be under submission of your church leadership. Come to an upcoming prayer ministry training and be curious. So I'm basically just doing a plug for what I like to do. Um, it's shameless. Uh, is that if you want to know more about these things and you want to use these tools in your life to bless people, come learn some things about it. And you will see God open up whole new areas that maybe you didn't know existed. Or maybe you saw somebody else had. And... Um, I would say the number one key is to stay humble because when God gives us gifts, we've seen where some of those gifts can view, they can appear like they're automatic. And they're gifts and they're strengths that person may have, but humility is needed to operate properly in those. But don't let that concern keep you from asking for the gift or wanting the gift or blessing someone. Curiosity is a funny thing. Um, it involves risk. You have to reach out. What if I reach out? What if I do something that I've not done towards someone else in a public place and it feels awkward or scary? In the vineyard, we, we spell faith, R-I-S-K. And I'll tell you, in my personal situation, I have prayed for people and not felt like I needed, I knew anything that was gonna happen, and I've seen them healed. I've prayed for people where I felt like there was a certain area of their body that the Lord was gonna work on, and that was a miss. But doing things in a gentle, loving manner, and that person walking away feeling loved and feeling blessed is of the utmost importance. And God honors that. He's like, oh, my child walked scared, but faithfully in this direction. Now I'm going to trust them with more. So I, I would hope that this um, would put you on that path. What if I reach out? What if I ask the Holy Spirit to come? What if I look for opportunities to love often? What if I knock and I want to go deeper? What if I do this? So Peter shows resistance, but I want to show you something. He screws up a lot. He's like the number one screw-up in the Bible. Um, I, I don't want to place Jamie's name behind that previous phrase, but when he was speaking last week, he said, you know, they gave a survey, and they said that who's the least likely to come to the Lord in Fort Myers High, and it's like Jamie's name came up. Well, it's kind of like the enemy just loses, right? Because he has been passionate for the Lord all this time since then. God has targets on people's hearts to bring them to him. And he wants to use you or a team of you or parachurch situations, just tons of ways, but you can be a part of it. And it's so exciting. So let's look a little bit at what Peter does. This is just a few things. 
Um, he tells Jesus that he's the Christ. It's like spot on, good deal. And then he tells Jesus that you're not gonna die. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, those two things are like juxtapositioned. He's a big winner. He's told that he's going to be the rock that the, what the church is built on, and then he like fails. So it's like, you might get a little gun shy, but there's more. I will never forsake you. He tells Jesus that. And then he denies Jesus. So start to think about Maybe you're not as brash in the things that you do, but maybe there's some things that you promised the Lord and you maybe feel a little bit shy. Like, okay, I didn't really do what I said I was gonna do or he told me to do this and I didn't. The Lord will just wipe that away. Let's start at the beginning. He wants to fill you. He wants to use you. Don't let the enemy tell you what happened in the past and keep you from moving forward with him. You're empowered and you have the Holy Spirit in you. So he wants to use you. He walked on water, he sank in water. I mean, he, he was invited to the transfiguration, the like the little cool get together with the big leaders in heaven, with, with James and John. And then he's like, this is so neat. I'm gonna build a monument up here and we're just gonna hang out. And Jesus is like, no, we're not hanging out. This is an experience to be connected to who I am. So you were really clear on who I am and then let's go do the stuff. Um, and he chopped off a man's ear when he was supposed to be patient. <clears throat> you, know, you know, and we, they didn't have guns back then, so that was like the lethal thing, right? So uh, he screwed up pretty bad, but then he goes around Jerusalem and Judea and like healing people, and now he's given this opportunity. <clears throat> so my, one of my second goals besides trying to encourage you was to get you uh, to understand a little more about me I seem kind of reserved as I walk around. Sometimes I'm a little bold to smile and, and be, you know, nice. Other times I just walk through, don't say anything. Um, but I, I want you to know more about me because I want you to get involved with some of the different aspects that God's drawing you towards. Um, so in order to do that, I have to show you a little bit of oddity because there's not really, as my kids know, and they're all here, there's not knowing much more about me if there's not some weirdness to it. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with being a dad. I was just weird before that. Um, and the Lord shielded my wife's eyes early, like super early, and she didn't understand. So we were, about 13 years ago, we were at a conference. It was a regional conference for the Vineyard. And they many times will have like, hey, these are the new books. And okay, here, you want a book? And then they hand a book and they point to the person and say, you can have a book. They always give those things to the people in front. That's no fun. They didn't even have like a book cannon, you know, where, where they could like shoot it out. These are not hardback books. They're softback books. Nobody's going to get hurt. And if they get hurt, you pray for them. So, so they were doing that. And I'm like, ah, oh, and I, I was never picked. I was kind of like in the middle near the aisle, but I was one off the aisle, I believe. And I was sitting next to a young pastor that was planting a church in Maryville Vineyard, which is where Asher uh, goes when he's in college. Um, this guy's right about my age, but you know, he's just got his whole act put more together than me. Um, I, I'm a little more like Peter where like, I'm really brash to do something. And then, you know, back and forth. So they say, oh, we have this object. And instead of saying, you can have it, they say, funny thing to cry about. They, they say, we're going to give this to the first person that gets up here. 
that's not the right thing to say to me. Because, <laughs> I mean, with a bunch of pastors, you're supposed to be kind of dignified. I mean, I was a youth pastor, so that gives me some credentials to be undignified. So in, you'll see that it's not like this thing was like a real big reward or anything. But to me, it was, it was important. Oh, sorry. So... I didn't even know about Hobby Lobby at this point. I'm not sure where this was bought, but it looks kind of something that you would see at Hobby Lobby. It is really just a planter. A little tiny, I mean, $6, right? So they showed this. It, it just encouraged me about passion and wanting to just go do what God wants. I know the verse about him leaving the 99 for the one. So I don't remember if I hurt anybody but I did bump up against a bunch of people. And there maybe, would, there maybe were a couple other people running up there. I did not see them because I was in front of them. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to show that. So I've had this a long time, and it reminded me of the different things that Jamie has in his office. He has things that mean something to him in his history. You may have things like that in your home. God can use little objects like this just to remind you of stories and blessings and ways that he's cared for you. Um, so this has kind of started to take on some new meaning because Ruby, um, about six months ago, well, that was after I ignored her for a few months. So about six months ago, she's like, hey, I really would like to get a tattoo. I'm like, okay, and she wasn't 18. And I'm like, okay. So I had to, you know, do the whole talk thing with Chelsea and, and, uh, I was like, okay, how can I extend this out past 18? So it's not like my fault. And um, so she was patient enough. I didn't expect her to be, but she was. She's like, yeah, but, and she upped the ante. This is like six, nine months ago. She's like, we could both get the same tattoo. Like, Isn't that awful? That's like, that's, you know, she's like devised this. So she's like, why don't we get a little lamb like basically like just the little 2D face of a lamb. And then I thought about putting a one near it or inside of it to symbolize that one that Jesus went after. The problem is, is that I, in concept, I think that would be great. I'm not concerned about anything to do with tattoos. It's just that I think that I would try to rub it off and I would be like claustrophobic. Like I would be like rubbing it and like concerned. I'd like see it in the mirror and I, I know that there's a time frame at which you get used to it. Maybe you don't care. Anybody care if you had something permanently on your skin and you're like worried about that? Probably not anymore. To me, I was just like, how am I gonna handle this? But at the same time, I would really love to have that with her as a connection point. So anyway, um, I have not gotten it yet. She's 18, so she can decide to do it. I thought this morning when she was gonna surprise me, she introed like, nobody even noticed what I did. And I'm like, oh no, she got the lamb thing. But she didn't do that. So I was worried. Uh, so what happens when we want more, when we are curious like Cornelius? I want to go to Acts 10, 24. The following day, his peop, um, Peter arrived with the two servants and with the, the guard in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he, call, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So P Cornelius doesn't just say, okay, this thing is for me. He says, I'm going to invite everybody I know. I want to invite everybody that will fit in my house. God told me things I shouldn't have known. This is special. Something's happening. So 
when we want more like Cornelius, we get more with the Lord. In Acts 10.24, the following day when Peter arrived, um, he called together his relatives and close friends. You invite friends when you have an expectation that the God's, gonna, God's gonna do something. We don't always know the timing, but just being open to that and being hopeful. So reflecting back on Alpha, we had an Alpha that ended maybe three, four weeks ago. Um, the last time I was involved in Alpha, I was the youth pastor here at the church in Trafalgar, and I ran probably a, like a youth version of it. So I invited a couple people. Well, one of the persons I invited was my neighbor, Rennie, and um, we've lived in the same home for 22 years, so um, my whole family has grown up there. Riley, um, I think, was like one when we moved, so we've been there all this time, and you know, with neighbors where you've been there that long, sometimes you see them often and sometimes you might go a good amount of time without seeing them. But you have this like general respect, this general relationship. And I was like, I would really love Rennie to just ask questions of God that he has. And that's what Alpha's for. It's not for telling people how to think. It's for saying, if you have questions about God and you would like to ask them and have some conversations, then we want God to show you whatever he wants to show you. So I took that opportunity. Um, he did come. I got to lead him um, at our table. I was a table host. Maybe there's some future table hosts here. And um, when we had the day where we talk about the Holy Spirit, he stood and he, and he confessed Jesus as Lord. And that was, that was such a blessing. That was so sweet. And... Um, I asked him later, because we had called people up to pray just that the Holy Spirit would speak to them, real gentle. And I just said, I don't remember what I said, but I remember what he said. He said, you know, when you just invited the Lord and then you just stood there and you just allowed God to do what he wanted to do, that really meant something to him, that I wasn't trying to hand him something and push something on him, that it's just an invitation, just like Cornelius is getting. So that has blessed me so much. And the Lord is reinvigorating my heart to be willing, like Cornelius and like Peter, to stretch. Even though there's things that I see that I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, God, I will do it. I'll change my mind. I will let him change me. That doesn't end when you first accept Jesus. It keeps going. In... Uh, Acts 10, 27, Peter says um, down in the quote uh, in 28, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or to visit with a Gentile, but God has shown me. There's gonna be things that God shows you. And it's gonna give you courage to change. You may go to places you haven't been before. You may become convinced. You may get an area of boldness that you didn't have before you may become ruined to living the way that you used to live. Even after knowing who Jesus is, you may just have a richer, deeper relationship. You can ask for that. Ask, seek, and knock. In Acts 10, 40, uh, 44, 
He says, the Holy Spirit came, this is describing the situation when he's speaking to all the people, came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. So Peter not only came there himself, he brought a bunch of people that had a differing view of who could be accepted, who could be in the in crowd. I mean, this, this really is like, it's really a situation where you could have like a spiritual rumble, basically. You could have a spiritual war because if you were gonna hold to your own views and not change, then there could be a problem. Verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized. In verse 34 and 35, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And, and then in verse 45, jumping down to verse 45, the circumcised believers, so these are the other people, not Peter, so not apostles, um, all they, although they might have been with Jesus for a good long time, had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even, even on Gentiles. This is like saying, in their context, the regular synagogue attenders were amazed that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on people far from God as they drew close. God has somebody that needs to be reached and that maybe is a little uncomfortable to be reached and he may use you and he will use you and as things keep going crazy in the world, he will use you if you, will, if you are willing to be used. I wanna share... Um, a story with you, and then um, kind of bring it to closing. Um, I was at I was in a, um, a church, and they were doing like a little um, I don't know what you call it. Um, I lo- I'm losing the word, but they were doing a little event, and they separated all the people. They took half the room and went this way, and half the room and went that way. And um, they said, okay, we're going to try something. We're going to have everybody turn towards each other, walk across the room, and you're going to pray for each other. But we also want to ask the Lord if there's pictures or if there's any, any words or anything. So we're basically supposed to ask God if, we, if he has something for that person. Um, and the person I had was a couple years younger than me, five or six. And he said, do you want more? And I said, yeah. And I knew he was talking from a spiritual context. And then I waited a few minutes and we just kind of prayed or stood still. And then he said, do you want more? I was like, yeah, yeah, I want more. So once he did it the third time, I thought this is getting a little ridiculous. I don't know if you would kind of go into the, okay, this is getting redundant. And he did that six or seven times. And he said, As much of you want of God, you can have. He just said, do you want more? So I view our learning about Jesus and the Holy Spirit as a starting point, and then we have to cultivate that hunger, that relationship, that desire to ask, seek, and knock. And I know as maybe you, when you look back in your life, I definitely see this in mine, um, it's up and down. It's like Peter. It's like great things and awful things. 
But God is faithful, and he has people for you to love. Um, so that's always been something that I carry with me. Um, I want to, I wrote this little phrase. The curious ask, seek, and knock. The resistant say there are lions in the street. I say the lion in me calls me to the street. The curious ask, seek, and knock. The resistant say there are lions in the street. From the scripture, that word is actually lazy. There, it says the, the, the slothful. So in the scripture, it would say slothful or lazy person says there's lions in the street. Like they're afraid to go do anything. They're afraid to stretch out of their comfort zone and do things that they're challenged to do. I say the lion in me calls me to the street. So I just want to say in closing that Jesus is the good news. And he wasn't just the good news back then. He is the good news every single day, every single minute of every day. Peter shares a summary of all that Jesus did while he was on earth that he got to watch. And those people, uh, Cornelius already had a relationship with God, but his friend group, his family, found out who God was, and then the Holy Spirit visibly rested on them. And that was a sign to religious people, oh, they're in the club. It is not a, in the club, let's keep these people out of the club. It's an ever accepting, ever requesting, come join us. Come join us. So I'm gonna read this. The good news and not any less good, is not any less good today than it was in their day. Jesus, God in the flesh, visited our earth. He did miracles only God could do. He rescued the broken. Jesus suffered and died on a, a horrible death on a cross to clean our mistakes and evil in our hearts from the record books. When he rose from the dead, proving he was the solution to the human condition, the Messiah, the only way to God. Today we are clean because of what he did 2,000 years ago. Do you want to be clean today? Clean today, that's the good news. And if you've had that opportunity to start, then there's a continuing you get to do to love other people. So uh, I want to just have a stand right now. <clears throat> so, and I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit. So this situation in the New Testament breaks open the Christians to go around the world to know that everybody's been accepted. So I want to give an invitation that we do um, almost every time and say, you may be here for the first time and the Lord may be opening your eyes. You may feel that presence on you or that quickening. You may feel a little bit of trepidation or a little bit of, hey, I need to change. I need to lay some things down, but I know God's going to give me a gift. So I would say, if there's anyone here that wants to say yes to Jesus as Lord, we ask that if you want to do that, you can just raise your hand. And the phrase that we say is, um, Jesus is my Lord. And in doing that, you're saying, you're in charge of my life. 
and I just want you to be my friend and be a, be a part of my life. And I'm gonna change how I do things. 